So a, what I think is a pretty difficult gospel passage today, an uncomfortable gospel passage, because in it, Jesus asks us to do something very uncomfortable. He says this to us this morning. He says, I say to you that listen, so I say to my disciples, I say to those who want to follow me, to Christians, I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. No thank you, right? Who wants to do that? Um, I don't think any of us are shocked by these words from Jesus. We know that Jesus said this. When I read uh, the gospel reading, I am, I am sure no one was surprised by these words. And yet it is a surprising and shocking thing that Jesus asks us to do today. Right? To love those who don't love us. And, and I wonder to what degree we actually attempt to do this in our life. Attempt to love those who do not love us. Uh, this past week, I was thinking about this verse and about my own attempts to do this, and I started thinking about this word enemy and asking myself, do I have an enemy in the world, a nemesis? And the truth is, I, I don't really think I have an enemy. But I do have people who have hurt me. I have people who have uh, betrayed me. I have people who have used me for their own purposes. I thought of this word hate as well. It's a strong word. Jesus says, hate, uh, do good to those who hate you. And I started thinking, do I have someone who really actively hates me? And you might, you might correct me on this point, but I, I, don't, I don't think I have anyone who hates me. But I do have people who I know don't like me. I think to be, especially in this culture, a person with any sense of conviction means you're going to have people who don't like you. And it's important to realize that Jesus is talking about all these types of relationships in our life. And so as we reflect on these words, I think in the beginning, as we do this, it's, it's helpful to think concretely in your mind, and I encourage you to do this right now, think of someone that you don't like and who doesn't like you. Think of someone in your life who has hurt you. Right? Do you have that person in your mind? And then hear the words of Jesus that we are called you are called to love them, not just tolerate them, not just to be indifferent to them, but to actively love them, which is what makes this commandment so difficult and honestly, truly annoying because no one wants to actually do this. We don't. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about why Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to love those who don't love us. And I want to give us four reasons um, 
These reasons are not meant to be exhaustive, but I think these are four important reasons Jesus tells us to love those who don't love us, to love our enemy. All right, so the first reason that we are to love our enemy, and that is sometimes, just, just sometimes with an enemy, the problem in the relationship might be about you. Right? That's a good place to start as Christians from a, a uh, posture of humility. What I mean is, is maybe, you just maybe, your enemy is your enemy for a good reason. Maybe, maybe your enemy, maybe your enemy sees something in you that is not good, and they are opposed to that. Right? They have a valid reason to stand in opposition to you. That might be the case. Or another scenario. Maybe in a relationship you have some needs. Maybe needs that you're not even aware of. Needs that you're expecting this other person to meet. And they're not meeting them. It's not really their fault. But you interpret that as opposition. They're not loving you in the way that you think they should. Or another scenario. It's quite possible, maybe... You are projecting your own issues on your enemy, this person that you don't like. You're not seeing them clearly. Uh, the great psychologist Carl Jung, he talked about the shadow side of our personality. You know, he said the shadow side of our personality is that part of our personality that we don't like, we're ashamed of, and so we repress it, we hide it. We have a public personality we, we put that on display. We want everybody to see that. But the shadow side, he says, we, we hide it deep away within ourselves. Often, we're not even aware of it. But Jung argues that our shadow side, it, it comes out at times. And he says one of the most basic ways that we reveal our shadow is that we project it outward onto other people. So that what we deny in ourselves, we see very clearly in the other person. The things that we hate about ourselves, the things that we're ashamed of about ourselves, we project them onto other people. Now, did Jesus know about this? Of course he did. Remember that famous phrase where he said, and he's talking to those who are, are judging other people, he says, you hypocrites, first remove the beam out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, when we are critiquing that speck in our brother's eye, that person we don't like, maybe it's because we have a huge plank in our own eye, right? The pride or the envy or the fear that we see in our enemy, it may actually be our own pride and fear or envy. And so in this sense, I think this is an important point, our enemies can actually do us a great service in our lives because our enemies, if we're willing to, to reflect on them, if we're willing to go to this place, our enemies can teach us about ourselves. They can they can sometimes reveal things 
about ourselves. So that's the first reason we are to love our enemies, because sometimes the issue is more about us than about them. All right, second reason to love your enemy. This is a, a more simpler idea, and that is in loving your enemy, you might transform their heart. In other words, you might win them back. You know, if, if someone is your enemy and you oppose them, you fight them, you badmouth them, what, what good does that do? Well, it doesn't really do any good. In fact, what it does is it only confirms your enemy in their opposition to you. Right? It only gives them more reason to be your enemy. You justify your enemy's actions against you. But you see, when you love your enemy, and I think this gets to the very heart of Jesus' ethical teaching, when you love your enemy, when you do good for your enemy, it confounds them. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. They are thrown off balance. And what happens is there is a little window of opportunity that emerges that makes it possible, it's not always possible, but makes it possible for reconciliation. As we know, reconciliation is at the heart of the Christian life. We are to be reconciling people. God has reconciled him, us to him, and we are to reconcile others to God and to one another. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Aikido. This is a form of a mar martial arts. Uh, I think it's Japanese martial arts. But what makes Aikido martial arts unique is that Aikido is completely defensive. Uh, and the practitioner of Aikido, what they do is when someone is attacking them, they are trying to defend themselves while at the same time not hurt the attacker. The practitioner of Aikido, they learn how to take the aggression of the opponent and to move with it in such a way as to diffuse it so that they might throw the aggressor off balance. And the whole goal, the whole goal is to get the aggressor to stop attacking. In a sense, in Aikido, you are loving your enemy. You are loving the person who is attacking you. You're not fighting back aggressively. You're not responding in violence. You're trying to stop the fighting. Again, we are to be people like this. We are to be people who are seeking, hoping for reconciliation with our enemies. And so we love them in the hope that we might transform their heart. All right, third reason why we love our enemy. And that is because when we love our enemy, it can reveal the true quality of our love. Jesus talks about this quite specifically in our passage today. So let's say you have an enemy or someone who does not like you, and it's not your fault. It's, it's their issue. And let's say there is no hope for reconciliation. They will stand against you. They will oppose you no matter what you do. We're still called to love them. 
you know, as we know, you know, love is not primarily an emotion. Right? Love is first and foremost an act of the will. We decide to love. And to love, what it, what it really is, it is to will the good of the other. Therefore, the best test, the ultimate test of love is to will the good of someone who does not will your good. You see, when I love my friends, I'm expecting my friends to love me back. When I'm generous with my friends, I'm expecting in some degree that they're going to be generous back. But to love someone who is an enemy, who does not want my good, that is, is pure love. Jesus says this. Um, it's in the printout you have of our readings. It's the, I think it's the middle uh, paragraph, but he says this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Again, to love the enemy is a pure love. Think of Jesus on the cross. Think of Jesus forgiving and loving those who are actively killing him. That is love. And that's why the cross for us is such an incredible symbol of love. That even as the world kills God, how does God respond? God responds with love. So we love our enemy because it reveals the nature of our love. It tests our love. And then lastly, fourth reason why we love our enemy. We love our enemy so that we can be like God. So that we can image God to the world. So that we can bring God's life, share God's life with the world. Again, Jesus talks about this in our passage. Again, this is the bottom of that second paragraph. He says to us today, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Your Father is merciful, Jesus says, so you be merciful. Matthew, in his gospel, he puts it this way. He says, love your enemies. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Just as a child models their behavior on their parents, we are to model our behavior on our Heavenly Father. And again, this is how we bring and share the life of God with others, by loving in this way. So those four reasons. We love our enemies first because the problem is sometimes with us. We might, not, we might not be seeing our enemies 
clearly. Second, because we might transform their heart. We might win them back. We might reconcile them. They might become a friend. That's our goal. Third, because it reveals the quality of our love. And then fourth, we love our enemies because God loves his enemies. We were once his enemies, and he loved us. We are called to love as God loves. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a, um, a writer, a speaker uh, named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she wrote a very, very famous book called The Hiding Place. I think later was made into a movie. I've mentioned her in the traditional services, but uh, not here in the table. But uh, Corey Ten Boom had a really an incredible life. Uh, she was Dutch, and in World War II, her family, which was her, her father and her sister and her, they hid Jews from the Nazis. Now, they were discovered for doing this, and her father, sister, and her were sent off uh, to the concentration camps. In the camps, her father and sister died. Corey survived, and after she um, was freed, she began to speak about her experience in the camp. She was a Christian, and she spoke about how God sustained her during this incredibly difficult time in her life, and she also spoke about how God uh, gave her the power to forgive and to move past this experience. Now, in the book, at one point, she talks uh, about the fact that she, at one moment, was addressing a large crowd. And when the address was over, uh, she came down and a number of people surrounded her to, to thank her for her speech. And all of a sudden, a man appeared with an outstretched hand. And he said to her, will you forgive me? And she says that when she looked up in his face, she immediately recognized him as one of the guards from the concentration camp she was at. And this was not just any guard. She says that this was the cruelest of all the guards. This was the guard who continually humiliated and belittled her and her sister. And now he stands before her with an outstretched hand saying, will you forgive me? And she writes this. She says, I stood there with coldness clutching at my heart. But I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I pray, Jesus, help me. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and I experienced an incredible thing. The current. It started in my shoulder, ran down my arm, and sprang into our clenched arms, into our clenched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being. It brought tears to my eyes, and I proclaimed, I forgive you, I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. And then she ends by saying, I have never known the love of God as intensely as I did in that moment. Never known the love of God 
as intensely as I did in that moment. Over the years as a priest, uh, I have had people share with me some unimaginable and horrific things that people have done to them. Really evil, evil things. And it has been so powerful to watch some of them. Often this takes time. But to watch them respond in love to those who have hurt them in these incredible ways. And what they've shared with me is the same thing that Corey Ten Boom is writing about. They share that this love that they find within themselves, the ability to love this person who has hurt them, their enemy, they said they had to pray for it, but that it was given, that it's not, it's not their love, that it's a gift. It's as Paul says in Romans, when Paul writes, in Christ, in Christ, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. You know, the promise of the gospel is more than the promise that God loves us. It's more than the promise that God forgives us, which are incredible promises in their own right. But the promise of the gospel is that we get to share in the very life and love of God. God's life, which is love, that he pours that life of love into us. That's the promise. And this, this, this love that is poured into us from God, this love that we can never possess, this love that we cannot make our own, this love that we have to continually be receiving. In this love, we are to love our enemies. We are to do good to those who hate us. We are to bless those who curse us, and we are to pray for those who abuse us. In this love we do this, the gift of this love. Amen.